0: Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Wanted to welcome you all to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We're very excited today to have a special guest. Mr. William Yowell, vice chairman of CBRE, the largest real estate firm on the planet. So, William, (laughs) welcome and and congratulations on uh, you being part of of making that success. You've been there for quite some time. So if you don't mind, to start us off, uh, just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do at CBRE.
1: Sure, Joel. Is, uh, first, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Really appreciate the uh, opportunity to, to, to speak with you and, and be on the podcast. Yes, as you mentioned, I've, I've been with CVRE for over thirty years. It's hard to believe time does fly, but uh, I started out with the company. It was a, a much different organization than it is today. We were a, a much smaller company at the time, and the Atlanta office was was a much smaller operation. But I've been very fortunate to be with a, a company that's had great leadership. And you know grown this this platform to be one of the one of the largest global real estate commercial real estate service providers and you know my role with the company is uh, I, I lead our office investment sales practice uh, so it's a a capital markets business if you will and and the the short of it is we assist owners and investors in commercial properties to uh you know acquire those buildings and um acquire and dispose you know buy and sell you know those properties and the, the team that i lead here focuses exclusively on office investment transactions primarily here in atlanta but all over the, the southeast and and also uh, we work on some transactions nationally so it's the uh you know it's, it's been a, a a great career for me and um I've got a great team and a lot of really good partners here and, and a, a wonderful platform in CBRE with regard to, to being able to offer us uh, the support and the, the, the things that we need to uh, be successful for our clients.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, I wanted to to bring up a one point for our listeners. Um, as you know, if you've looked at our, our history of guests, it's, it's primarily – minorities that have done exceptionally well in in real estate and uh, there was a specific reason I brought you on will and I want to share that with you. I didn't tell you this before so <laughs> you know you might be sitting there saying why me? You know, but, but the thing about it is that oftentimes I think a lot of minorities feel well, you know, I I can't be that guy because you know, he's he's a white guy, he probably just had a silver spoon in his mouth and his daddy at the country club, you know, got him that position and he didn't really have to work for it. And I, I kind of want to dispel that myth because, um, you know, obviously we had a chance to meet over the uh, sale of the Bank of America Tower here in Atlanta. And um, just if you can, give us a little bit about your background and how you actually got started. You know, was this just a gift from dad that you became vice chair or how did all this come about?
1: <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, listen, um, I've, I, I, appreciate being on this because, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, one of the things that in the commercial real estate business as a whole is we need to diversify our, our business and our population, you know, a lot more. And, you know, I, I, I believe strongly in that and, you know, try to, to implement that in my business and, and, and our company is doing a lot in that regard as well. You know, listen. I, I I was fortunate that I grew up in a middle class family in Virginia. My father was a banker, so I had some of the 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 uh, upbringing to be around that, and I heard what he did, and I saw his work ethic as well. You know, he was up early, out of the house by six thirty, quarter to seven every morning, and a lot of a lot of evenings, you know, wasn't home till till later, and you know that instilled in me kind of the that work ethic and what you had to do to to be successful. But when I uh when I got out of school I kind of said, you know, I don't wanna be Bill Yowell's son in Mm -hmm. the banking business in Washington D C area in northern Virginia. And so I came to Atlanta with just knowing a few people here, some friends from school, and uh started to try to, you know, find my way into uh the, the Commercial real estate business, I did end up uh, not finding a job there, and, and started with a small computer software company at the time. Uh, that was before computers were cool, by the way, yeah. before the whole tech <laughs> industry was cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I had I had an opportunity through a friend of mine who mentioned that there might be some openings at CB. Um, at the time, it was CB Commercial uh, before mm. it became CBRE, and. I went in and basically, you know, they, they said, uh, yep, yeah, you, you know, you, you kind of have the the base level of skills that we would hire for a, a starting salesperson in, in uh, commercial real estate. And, you, you know, Joel, they basically, they handed me a phone and a phone book and a desk <laughs> and they said, here you go. How that? <laughs> and uh, really, there wasn't a whole lot of training to it. And yeah. so it was a lot of on the job and, and you know, I, I just uh, I had to try to, understand and meet with as many people as I possibly could, my colleagues at CBRE, as well as, you know, others in the industry and, and just, you know, work really hard. And it was difficult. I mean, it, it, it is not an easy business, whether you're on the development side, mm-hmm. the principal investing side, or the brokerage side, the, the services side, you know, and, and all the different things in between and all the different product types you know, I do office, but there's industrial, there's retail, there's multifamily apartments, there's hotels. I mean, there's just so many different verticals or avenues of this business line, and and so you know, it just it was a, it was a really tough three to four years to get into it, but um, I was you know I was passionate about it. I, I loved what I did, despite the fact that the that the income, the money didn't flow as quickly you know in the early stages, but I knew that if I if I stuck to it and with some great support from others, uh, around me. I had some really good mentors and I'm very thankful for that. And and that's what helped me kind of get, get my career going. And then, you know, as I, as it, as it progressed, I, I stayed with it, you know, and I'm probably, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a unicorn in the fact that I've, uh, uh, only been with one commercial real estate company, you know, my entire career over 30 years, which that's unusual today. And I'm not, I'm not, you know i'm not saying that that's the only way to do it because i do think that with change and and you can advance your career through promotions and moving around a little bit from company to company but but yeah that's that's a little bit of the you know the my my background and and how i got into it you know from the standpoint of of over the years you know just continuing to work at it stay with it and the success thankfully came through that hard work and then i was able to grow a team and grow the business from there
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. You know, I I wanted to dive into that a little bit more because one of the objectives of the podcast is really to kind of inspire and give information to those ones that are coming up behind us in the commercial real estate space. And um, you know, you're right. Your, your path has been very unique. I don't know of anybody that's been with one firm in commercial real estate for 30 years (laughs) in in today's, today's state of, of affairs you know, as well as I do, most people bounce around a lot. A lot of millennials, you know, they, if you look at their resume, pretty much every 36 months, they're going somewhere else or whatever the case is. Is there an argument that can be made as regards the value of longevity and sticking at one shop? Or do you think that maybe if you would have done things differently, maybe you should have gone out on your own? Or I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that at this point? Because it's kind of, you know, you can go either way.
1: Yeah, no. Listen, I think there, there's there are pros and cons. As I said earlier, um, I do think that bouncing around, if you will, or you know, changing jobs, there can be benefits to that. But there are also downsides um, because you 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 invariably lose some momentum, the relationships that you have with customers and clients, along those lines there's a transition that has to take place. Even if they love you as a professional and a service provider, and I'm thinking about, you know, my business, but if it's, you know, even if you're an investor, you're beholden to the capital sources that, that provide you the money to make those investments, right? Unless, unless you're independently wealthy and, 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 you know, rich and and you don't need others, but not many of us out there, that's a pretty small, small group. So, so th- there is, I think, a, a downside to moving from company to company. Early in your career, I think it can be okay because you are hopefully making steps of advancement and learning more. But I think as you move deeper into your career, I think there is a, a, a A greater downside to jumping from firm to firm unless there's a real good positive reason you're getting a promotion or you're you're, you know continue to advance your education and your knowledge and experience level to a higher degree along those lines but i I do think there's some some real benefit in being consistent and and staying the course and and growing a business in one place that's not to say that you know going off on your own is not something either, uh, or not something that shouldn't be always explored and, and examined based on the individual's tolerance for that change, if mm-hmm. you will. And, and, you know, running your own business, there are uh, uh, a lot of hurdles to be overcome. And and that's one of the reasons why I've stayed at CBRE as long as I have, is because I kind of know my, I know my limits to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I, I needed the support of a larger organization and platform to help me. I wasn't great at, at, at a lot of the you know the, the the business owner aspects. You know running running the business and setting up all of the various accounting and insurance and you know all the many things that come along with with that. I wanted to stay focused on on what I did best, which was, you know, working for my clients and and representing them and their interests along those lines and cultivating a team to support that effort. You know, around me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good point. Very good point. You know, you. <clears throat> made mention of a, a few different things that I think are are profound. And, and this number one, knowing yourself and knowing what you're good at and what you're not so good at. You know, that's that's certainly very important. And then also the fact of losing momentum, uh, you know, that's that's a big part of it because every time you bounce, now all your clients have to say, well, I don't know if I really like that company or if I trust that other company that you're with now. I like you, but I don't know if you're going to have the support that you had at your prior shop. You know, all those things kind of come into play. And uh, as, as CPRE has grown, you know, everybody says, oh, yeah, I know that brand. And they can check that box and then move on with the relationship. So, you know, you you make some valid points there from that standpoint. So I guess ultimately that there, there is no right or wrong when it comes down to that. At the end of the day.
1: No, no, you're exactly right. I mean, everybody's going to have. Both in life, right, and yeah. and there's no right or wrong way about it. And um you know, by the way, also I think you know there's a lot of people that that say, you oh, know, you can't do that. And and Joel, I'll give you a quick little story here. And, and this was this was really tough for me. But um I mentioned that I, I joined CB, and uh, a friend of mine had had made an introduction to the company, and and you know, so I was fortunate to get the job. And they brought me on to sell office buildings. And at the time, I was, uh, I think, 26, 27 years old. i had been with the software company for four or five years out of school. So they brought me on with very little, as I said, you know, a phone book and a, and a phone <laughs> and a desk and said, here, go do it. So not a lot of training, not a lot of, uh, you know, a, a path to how you go about doing this. Mm-hmm. And so I spent the first month of, of my job trying to, you know, my working there up uh, making a plan, trying to think about, okay, I'm going to go catalog all of the office buildings in this particular part of town. I'm going to go look up, you know, the ownership, who owns all these buildings. And I put this plan together and then I got up the courage one day to reach out to the, the senior, most senior guy in the office who who uh, did office leasing. Mm-hmm. I was going to try to sell buildings and he, he, he represented tenants and, and landlords in leasing the, the buildings and he'd been with the company for I don't know twenty some years. He was a you know veteran, a really really strong guy. And I said, okay, I'm going to put this plan together, and I'm going to get up the courage to ask him to go to lunch. I want to buy him lunch mm-hmm. and and <laughs> present my plan to him. And guess what kind of feedback he would have? So I, I you know did this. Got together. We sat down at lunch. I laid out my plan to him. I said, you know, these are all the buildings. These are the owners. This is what I want. You know what I'm going to do. And I think that you know, there's there's a, a, a real positive program here. He looked at me and he shook his head and he said, You're gonna starve. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. Stop all doing? that work. <laughs> That's so after all that work and I've just shifted my career. I've yeah. just started this new job. And this here's the most, you know, veteran guy that he's he's the smartest one of the bunch. And he's telling me that my plan isn't gonna work. And so you know I, I say that in jest obviously he then said, okay, here's what you need to do You're, You've got some flaws and he mentored me and he really helped me to kind of refine that plan. And, and, um, he was right. I did start for probably the first two, uh, two years and thank goodness. Um, I had a, uh, gotten married and had a wife who helped support us. So we were able to <laughs> kind of keep food on the table for those couple of years. Yeah. But, but it, but it, you know, it's along those lines that people are going to tell you no, mm-hmm. and you need to just say, not, not accept that. Right. And, and continue to, to work hard get input, you know, and and accept that input to, to be able to refine your your plan.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well you bring up a, a good point in mentioning that. How how valuable do you think it was to your career having that mentor? And do you recommend it for others uh, starting off early in their careers?
1: Absolutely, Joel. I mean, there's there's no question. You know, this particular fellow, Brian was just a it was a phenomenal mentor to me. And there's been many, you know, in my career. And I've tried my best to to mentor others as I've gotten, you know, further into my career as well. I think it's really important to have someone there that can, you know, support you from a, a confidence perspective, and also more importantly, give guidance and perspective. The mentor's not always right, certainly. But the mentor can at least help you broaden your thought process, and mm-hmm. and you know somebody that's been there, maybe you know had had similar experiences or or other experiences that that you can grow and learn from, um, and and so it's 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 hard for some people to have the open mind to to listen. I mean, that is so critical. I think is to listen to what others uh, have to say, and and you know really try to take take in what they're saying, and 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 put that to to use in your in your daily life, you know, both mentors in the professional career and also in the personal career, Mm -hmm. right? And the spiritual career, all of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, you you think about it also, you said you started off your career in your 20s. And I I think you would agree, you don't look at the world the same way as you did in your 20s, as you do in your 40s or 50s, right? You have a different perspective. Or even 60 now. Yeah. Or even 60. Right. (laughs) Right. It's just a different approach to things because you've seen enough to say, okay, this might seem like the the logical bull in the china shop approach when you're 20. But then you look at the long term effects of that. And then your later years, you say, ah, that might not be the best thing to do. So you kind of take a different mindset. So and I think a mentor can kind of help balance that out, you know, as you were mentioning. So very, very good point there. Yeah.
1: By the way, I, yeah, you know, please. On, the, on the mentorship side, I, I just I mm-hmm. will throw this in. It it's, it's um you know it's it's not always smart to try to find a mentor that's just like you. Yeah. Right? Is to find people that are different and, mm-hmm. and bring that diversity into your, your thinking, into your mindset.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a valid point. I, I actually got into it with a guy who was um this was actually here in Atlanta. He was upset that he didn't get a board seat. On this particular company, and I was trying to tell him over lunch. I said, "Look, you know, if everybody on that board is a 50-year-old white male, I mean, how are you really going to grow that business? You have no other perspective as to what's going on in the world." And uh, you know, he didn't necessarily agree with that, but I was like, "Dude, that's the reason why I didn't put you on the board. You got to have that diversity because you're not just selling to 50-year-old white men, right? You're selling to right. everybody. Exactly. Right? If you're going to grow a business, you got to be able to reach out to the world." So. Yeah, I appreciate that. <clears throat> Having a mentor with um, a different mindset and diversity. Let me ask you this. If, if a person wanted to qualify to be on your team, for an example, you've been around the block. What would it take for a, a person coming up behind us, the next generation, to qualify to be on the uh, Will Howell Yowell team, if you will, uh, in commercial real estate? <laughs> yeah, no, that's or, a great or, or 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 are you going to just give them a phone and a, and a telephone book?
1: good point thankfully we don't do that anymore thankfully we do have a little bit more of a uh, a, a path and a a career path and a training you know program if you will you know so so in the commercial real estate space as i mentioned earlier there's so many options for careers the career path that, that i've chosen and that our team focuses on is is a an investment investment advisory Mm-hmm. Path and then program and and you know line of business, and so we ad, we advise institutional capital sources that are are investing money sometimes on their own account, sometimes on account of others, like a pension fund advisor that has a you know billions of dollars that they're that they're have to manage and, and that they're the stewards to take care of because these pension participants are going to need that money when they retire in the future. Right. And so they want to invest it and get a return and grow it from there. So so um, that, that's kind of what our line of business is, along those lines. So it's it's a capital markets, it's, it's a finance-oriented job, and so what we look for in bringing new people on board are, are those that have a, a, a background in a, a, an educational background. They don't necessarily have to have experience, mm-hmm. but an educational <laughs> background and, and, a, and a good sense for numbers. You know, so a finance and/or real estate you know, background degree is kind of what we're looking for. Uh, and we bring them on as analysts to do the analysis and run the financial models to, to you know, understand the value of these buildings. Um, and that's, that's really the entry level into our business and our team, if you will. So, so we, we look to all of the various different universities. We're a little bit biased here in that we like to see, you know, uh, 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 candidates from, the Atlanta and Georgia and Southeast area in particular. So, you know, we looked at Georgia State, we looked at Georgia Tech, we looked at the University of Georgia, we looked to the, you know, all of the other mm-hmm. diverse schools with the um, historically black colleges and universities here in Atlanta as well, and um, you know, trying to bring those candidates in, and then we we have a training program for them with regard to learning the software that we use to model these financial analyses that, you know, basically the, the, the buildings. And then the career path from there, Joel, is, you know, they spend a, a usually two to three years in that analyst position. And while they're doing the underwriting and, and understanding value at, at analyses, we also indoctrinate them into understanding how How the buildings work you know from a from a physical perspective and from a a leasing perspective and the market analysis of you know how they interact with other buildings in in their particular uh, you know area, and then the, you know you move up from there to become a uh, senior analyst and then a a, a junior broker producer uh, mm-hmm. on our team and ultimately to a partner. Um, and, and our team is, it's rather small. It's a fairly lean group. We've got nine of us here now, and I've got three other uh, partners, business partners on the team. But, you know, we continue to expand and grow the business.
0: Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I appreciate that information. And yeah. you mentioned earlier that you're, you're primarily focused on um, on office. So you're not doing much retail and, and other things these days. Is that uh, pretty much safe to say? Or is that just another team altogether that handles those other verticals? Correct. OK,
1: correct. That's another team. Yeah. So our team is focused exclusively on office. As I said earlier, very fortunate <laughs> to be on this platform that's known as CBRE. And we have a, a, a team that leads uh, retail investments.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: have a team that does industrial, uh, multifamily apartments, hotels um, and even some niche areas. We have a team that focuses on many storage warehouses. That's all they do. Um, it's it kind of you know kind of interesting. We have a team that focuses on uh, net leased or single tenant buildings properties like a like a
0: CVS um,
2: yeah.
1: or a Walgreens exactly mm-hmm. or or uh, some of the you know the fast food restaurant chains mm-hmm. and the likes um, along that. So it's 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 amazing. I, I I'm always you know kind of amazed at the all the various lines of business that are out there in commercial real estate. And then again, the, the CBRE and others, we, you know, our competition has these same things as well the, you know, the various platforms, but in addition to all of this capital markets activity that I talked about, you know, about representing buyers and sellers, we also have a, a platform that does debt because debt is what really makes the world go round with regard to these investments. If you think about it, you're putting, you know, an investor is putting down, you know, anywhere from 10 to 40-50% equity and then they're borrowing the balance. So in a lot of situations most commercial assets it's 60 to 65 maybe 70% of the capital that goes to an acquisition to a, to buy a building uh, is debt. Yeah. yeah. And so you know it's, the majority is is coming from a lender. And so we have a whole practice that focuses on on the debt uh, procurement as well. Um then we have a whole leasing side of the business for all of those food groups,
2: mm-hmm. you know, that
1: I mentioned industrial, office, retail, uh, people that do leasing the, where they represent the owners. And then we have other the professionals that represent the the tenants, the, the users, the customers in those situations. And then we have a property management, you know, and, and an appraisal. And it's just that there's there's so many avenues to the commercial real estate business, which I think are, it's just nothing but opportunity. I mean it's a huge industry.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Many, many different verticals for sure. And and with your, your focus being in office, I'm assuming if you're mainly dealing with institutional capital, it's mainly core, maybe top Market well, you're you're just in the southeast, but uh, primarily core no development type office buildings for the most part. Is that safe to say?
1: Primarily, we we do you know focus on some smaller you know what I would call high net worth investor mm-hmm. type properties, but but the majority of our businesses is on the the larger institutional assets you know along those lines, and and yes, all over the southeast uh, primarily, but a lot of it just because we're here in Atlanta. Um, uh-huh the majority of that work comes here.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So let me ask this. What would you say was your, your biggest deal that you can remember that you guys did? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think, you know, one that's been really uh, special to me and, and I've had been fortunate and had the, 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 you know, the good fortune to work on several times is the bank of America Plaza building, which we, you, where you and I met uh, not mm-hmm. that long ago. And you know it's an it's an iconic asset here on the Atlanta skyline. It's really known around the country, if not around the world, as a, as an iconic building. And we've been fortunate to have represented the seller in the in that in the sale of that building every time it's ever sold uh, since it was developed back in the the 1990s. Wow. So um, it's first sold in 2006. And we represent Cousins Properties, who was the developer of the building, along with the Bank of America. Mm
2: -hmm. And it was a
1: a, a real, real highlight of my career to have been involved and representing them, along with our our full team here at CBRE, in that sale. And then we were fortunate to represent the next two uh, owners in their sales, one most recently here uh, earlier this year, in February of 2022. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's a highlight of my career. We've also had some very interesting portfolio transactions. Uh, we represented equity office properties uh, in the sale of uh, the majority of their assets in Atlanta when they were basically selling the company out uh, to Blackstone and, uh, it was a, a, a very, very sizable transaction and complicated. A lot of moving pieces. It was literally 3.3 million square feet, and mm. uh, I believe it was 32 office buildings, Wow. all in in you know one one transaction. And it was a, a huge team effort. Uh, a, lot, a lot of a lot of late nights and, and early mornings working that one, but uh, pretty pretty special.
0: Yeah, yeah. That you talk about moving parts. My goodness, 30 <laughs> 32 buildings. A <laughs> lot of work. That is a lot of work. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, and 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 by contrast, what would you say was your your smallest deal? I know you said you deal with some high net worths and and whatnot, just to kind of give us a scope of kind of the uh, the range that you deal in. What what would be a a small deal?
1: Yeah, well, you know. When, when you- when I got in the business, as I told you, you know, I had a phone book and a phone and I was trying to make this, uh, make this business start. So you had to start small. I, I wasn't able to, to just jump right into the big transactions, of course. And, and, you know, we sold my very first transaction again, it was being at the right place at the right time and and working pretty hard, but it was a when I first got into the business, it was a challenging time, and the the commercial real estate business was undergoing you know a, a a bit of a recession, a very deep recession in commercial real estate. And so there were buildings that were actually being foreclosed on by the lenders. The owners could not make the debt service, they couldn't make the payments. um the income wasn't there to support it enough because tenants were leaving the buildings or going bankrupt. i mean it was it was a challenging time. And I was fortunate enough to know of a, a small building uh, near at uh, Hartsfield Jackson International Airport. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, our our one of the one of the greatest assets of this city, by the way. And th- that this particular bank was going to be foreclosing on this building. It's a smaller building, and so I just cold called the the bank, and mm-hmm. I said, you know, if if you all are going to take this back and foreclose on it. Uh, I'm your man to try to sell the building for you and when it, the time is right for you to uh, to bring it to market. And sure enough, I got through to the right person and I was just the right place at the right time. They said, yes, we're going to need somebody. Come on over to the bank. And they wow. said, it's here in Atlanta. And so I was down there literally, uh, I think the next morning and um, you know, was able to kind of put that together. And, and then they gave me the assignment to sell the building. And I was like, uh-oh, what do I Did, do now? What do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I knew that was good. Like, oh, now, now I have an assignment. How do how do you actually go sell one of these buildings? You know? Right, right. So just a mm-hmm. lot of phone calls and I was <laughs> I was fortunate to find a private uh individual um, that, that was interested. Uh, this was just before the Olympics was coming to Atlanta. So again, I'm dating myself a little bit. This is back mm-hmm. in 19, early 1990s. Mm-hmm. And he saw the opportunity thought that, Hey, with the Olympics coming, the airport was going to continue to grow. And, and, um, uh, so anyways, Joel, we, we, we were able to sell that. And it was, a uh, um, at the time it, 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 I couldn't imagine doing a transaction of $3 million. It was a $3 million sale. You know, we, we had this individual, uh, high net worth, wealthy individual. He's actually from Germany, but lived in Atlanta and he he bought the building and that was kind of the the first one. So that one's always very special for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It
1: it got it all started.
0: Sure. You went out and had a a good steak dinner after that. So, you know, it made you feel good. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: We celebrated a little bit. We celebrated a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. What What would be considered a small deal for you nowadays? Like what's the smallest thing that you would even look at?
1: Well, as I mentioned, you know, we've got a a platform here Mm -hmm. at CBRE. And so our team focuses primarily on the the larger institutional transactions. But we've got a team that works alongside us uh, that works on some of the smaller, what we call private capital, private client,
2: Mm -hmm. uh, high
1: net worth group. And generally, CBRE is probably not going to do too many transactions today that are less than $5 million. But but five million to probably about twenty million is where our our private high net worth vertical works. And so I have a partner here that that focuses on those buildings and that size. The majority of the work that we do and certainly what I focus on are gonna be kind of twenty five million and up and and Quite frankly, a lot of uh, what I work on today, me personally, are are larger institutional clients that work nationally, but we kind of, you know, do a lot of their Southeast business. And, you know, those transactions will be upwards of, you know, a hundred to a billion dollar type portfolios and transactions in that regard.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense.
1: <clears throat> and before before people get too excited, you know, we, we're not like the residential business. We don't get paid six percent commissions on these transactions. <laughs> <laughs> the commissions are, are are counted in basis points. You right, know? right, <laughs> a tenth right. Of a percent. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, good point. Good point. Because people might be thinking, "Man, I'm gonna get six percent of a billion dollars. I'll retire tomorrow. Ain't gonna happen."
1: No, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. not at all.
0: Not gonna happen. Yeah. So one one thing I I wanted to um, talk about a little bit, and you kind of opened the door to this, uh, is about the the headwinds uh, with real estate. You mentioned about the headwinds when you entered the marketplace. The Bank of America building, as you know, and we all know, has had some uh, incredible issues over the years uh, as it relates to valuations and tenancy and everything else, and even ownership, the group out of California that owned it for a while what what are you, what are your thoughts on the the office marketplace at this point and I, and i know you know you might be a little biased from that standpoint just because that's the market that you're selling but in all honesty office space got its teeth knocked out during the recession and uh is trying to to make its way back do you think that companies have kind of adapted to this new marketplace or part work from home part come in i mean what what's going on what do you think 2023 is going to look like it's kind of Hard to say, I know, but what's your your professional thought after thirty something years? Yeah,
1: sure, Joel. Great question, and it's mm-hmm. what all my clients are asking, you know, today, and it's what we're asking ourselves too. Mm-hmm. It's a it is a the pandemic really threw a curveball to the office world. It threw a curveball to all of us, of course, and and there was you know a lot of just devastating tragedy associated with it, the loss of life, but also as it relates to the business that we're in it disrupted most everyone. You know, the multifamily and the industrial had different reactions. The industrial business went absolutely crazy because all of us were in our homes and we needed to buy things shipped to the house. And so the warehouse business really was boosted and and did quite well. Residential, we were all having to work, you know, from home for the apartments. Uh, People wanted bigger apartments, wanted even more space and, and things along those lines. So that business did well. But those of us that work in office buildings, we all went home, so the <laughs> office buildings were not being occupied. Yeah. And we then learned that we could work from home mm-hmm. and be very productive and very successful, and that the, the you know, technology that allows what we're doing here just this morning, you know, on a on a, a, a Zoom call with, mm-hmm. with, you know, having this meeting, it changed the dynamic of work in the office. So I would tell you that the the industry is in a, in a a time of of change, a time of trying to figure out what will the office of the future look like. I think invariably, and I, and you said it, I am biased to a certain degree, but I'm also a realist, and I understand that we are likely are not going to go back to the way things were. It's it it's unlikely. That employees working for companies that lease space in office buildings will work a typical you know what we did before the pandemic, Monday through Friday, nine to five or eight to ten or whatever it was, you know it, it's likely we're all going to have much more flexibility in our work life, and there are benefits to that, benefits that i I, I take advantage of, you know the reduction in the commute. You know, you know, you you add time to your to your life, whether you use that time for more work or whether you use that time for more family and pleasure and things of that nature. But it, 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 by not having a commute, particularly in big cities like Atlanta and you know other cities around the country, that, that's a benefit. But I do think that there is a loss of communication, collaboration, and team building, if you will, uh, corporate mentality, if you will, by not being together. And so what we're seeing across our company is the relationships that we have with companies that utilize office space all over the world is this, you know, a a fairly strong desire by the leadership of these companies to bring employees back to the office for some period of time during the week. Maybe it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, whatever the, whatever the, 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 um, time period is but we find that uh employees are more productive the companies are going to be more productive and you know we have a situation where it's beneficial to everyone the relationships are stronger and i'll give you a quick quick uh, little anecdote in that regard yeah. um i mentioned to you that we hire analysts so uh, about a year ago we had an opening for a, an analyst position and we were interviewing various different candidates uh, some that were right out of college, some that maybe had a year or two experience working at a bank or other place uh, as an analyst. And we had one candidate come in, and he said uh, he worked for a bank here in, in Atlanta, and I'll leave it nameless, but but one of the banks here in Atlanta. And as we were going through the interview, um, he said, are, "Are you all in the office, you know, on a regular basis, or what's your policy around office?" And I was quick to say, listen, we sell office buildings, so our clients kind of expect us to be in the office. So we are are generally a five day a week, but we have flexibility and the hybrid capability on it. And and I quite frankly thought that that was going to be an issue for this particular candidate. He was very good. He had all all the resume. He had you know great experience. He was smart. But you know, he, he, I thought he was going to say, well, that's not for me because I want to work you know, remotely. And I was shocked when what he came out of his mouth was, great, I am so excited, I would love this position, and I'm so happy that you all are in the office because I am so tired of working from home. (laughs) They said the the bank that I'm with doesn't allow us to come to the office, and so Mm -hmm. I'm having to do everything via Zoom. And you know I don't have the interactions I'd like with the senior members of the team, the mentors, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that just was like a light bulb went off with me that you know there 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 is a need for people to to interact and face to face and and um, you know we we have uh, I'm in a, an office right now while we're doing this uh, call but we have a very open platform, open environment in our office space here. And it's so that our our (laughs) analysts and every team member can hear and uh, kind of absorb what all everybody's doing, uh, without having to, you know, necessarily be in a particular meeting talking about it, you can, can kind of hear, and that's that's invaluable for people to learn about the business and to hear the, the senior people how they handle a transaction, how they interact with their clients, um, how they deal with challenges and and issues and problems that arise in in the day to day business.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's um it's something because like yourself, I'm sure we were all kind of working from home for you know almost 2 years and uh you know you you really don't appreciate the human interaction until we kind of went back to that and it's like wow i can actually touch and feel and shake a hand and you know do all those things that you couldn't do before you know this right. this uh right. yeah th- it was it's been just amazing you know the difference
1: yeah Joel, I'm not sure I really answered all of your question there, though, as it relates to the office building business and what the demand is going to look like going forward. Sure. Clearly, we have more office space in this country and in this city than we need today. And I will tell you what we're seeing is there is a a haves and a have-nots in the office building business. The haves are the newer buildings that have all of the great amenities, mm-hmm. that have all of the great technology built into them, and it's a place that companies want to lease space because they know that those types of buildings and those types of spaces will attract their, will get their employees to want to come back to the office, mm-hmm. to be able to collaborate and do all that. But if it's an older, maybe 1980s, 1970s, 1990s vintage building, that doesn't have all the great amenities it's a little bit tired in the way it looks and and you know, maybe it's not the best location anymore
2: mm-hmm. from
1: when it was built those are going to be those are going to be challenged and there's going to be a lot of capital that will need to be invested in those buildings to make them desirable and make them you know want to draw companies to lease there and so to put that capital in you're going to have to have a low basis in the building, a low value. And so it's going to, it's, they're going to be winners and losers. And there's some buildings today that just probably aren't worth what they were before the pandemic uh, because of these factors of demand uh, and the, the reduced demand. What what the, the CBRE house view is that, and this is a very broad statement, but that most companies probably will need something less today than what they had before the pandemic because of the hybrid work environment. Not to say that there are growing companies that are going to take more space. And that, that's what's going to help us come out of the the. the Supply demand mm-hmm. issue in office is the economy is going to continue to grow. I mean, yeah, we've got some issues right now. We're in you know recession, facing that higher interest rates, all of those things, mm-hmm. but and higher inflation. But but the the uh, the economy is going to grow, and companies will grow, and they'll take more space as they add more employees
0: over time. Okay, all right, yeah that that's um that's quite interesting because I was going to ask you about that. Are we seeing With these leases where companies are saying, you know, generally I need, you know, 50,000 square feet, but because of this circumstance, I'm only going to take 30 um, or I'm only going to take 25. Are we seeing a lot of that or are you you seeing that and you think it's going to be offset by the growth of other companies? Is is that pretty much what you're saying?
1: Yes. I mean, I'm not sure what the the metrics of, of, of that demand that was just an illustration company company. no no right from that illustration i think that's exactly right i mean there are there are definitely um some companies that are the the job that their employees do may lend itself to a remote work situation more so so they're going to need less space and and so i think there you know there will be some of that and and i think it would be foolish to you know Think that that's not going to happen. I mean, that that's a, a little bit of in denial. So, so there will be some challenges in the office for some office buildings. On the, uh, as I said, on the flip side, the the the, the newer buildings, and you're still right. You, you, if you drive up and down I seventy five eighty five, the downtown connector in Midtown, downtown, you know, even in, in in Buckhead and other places, we're still seeing cranes go up. They're still building buildings, which is is. Kind of fascinating. It's like how can they be building a building right now when we don't need as much space? But companies want the newest, and and so you know those new buildings will do will do well, and they're achieving rental rates Mm -hmm. that are the highest we've ever seen uh, in in uh, Atlanta. Partly because the cost to build these buildings has gone up, you have to charge a higher rent. But what we found this is kind of an interesting dynamic. Companies are taking less space, so you would think they would be reducing the cost of that occupancy, you know, how much do have to spend? If they were, if they were leasing, you know, a hundred thousand square feet and now they're only at least 80,000 square feet, you think they would save. What we're finding is they're spending the same amount of money and upgrading and having the best technology and the best furniture systems and the best amenities and, you know, bars and, and lounges and, you know, all, all the cool things that we want in, in our workspace. And, but yet, so, so, they're not necessarily <laughs> shrinking their budget mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've got to, they've got to do what they need to do to bring the employees back to the office.
0: Yeah. You know, Will, that's, that's, um, it's actually quite interesting because I, I would love to debate it with you and kind of show the other side of the coin, but I can't. And and I'll tell you why I was in New York uh, before I went out of the country and I was meeting with, uh, I met with related, I met with, met with Brookfield and, you know, at Hudson Yards, it's unbelievable the amount of square footage of office space that they have developed at that site. And it's all sold out. And I'm like, you got to be right. kidding me, right? <laughs> you know, how do you sell out all <laughs> this space in this type of environment? You know, but it's it's spot on what you're saying because all these companies like the KKRs of the world and, and uh, even Facebook has space up there at, at Hudson Yards. And what they're saying is, you know, we want all the bells and whistles, we want the newest, fanciest stuff, we want ease of access, and and they're they're taking those leases and, and taking up that space. It's unbelievable. But like you said, the older buildings are probably going to get crushed or at least have to uh you know raise their cap rates or something to get out of them.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's it's gonna be challenging for some of the uh the, the older buildings and the owners that that you know own those buildings.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic because I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, you're standing in these buildings. They're all 50, 60, 70 stories, and they're all leased up. And it's like, how could that be? You know, some of them pre-leased. Well, look, look, at, look at Midtown Atlanta. I mean, mm-hmm.
1: look at what's happening in uh, the Tech Square area yeah. of Midtown yeah. where you, you've seen, you know, uh, Portman Holdings has developed uh, three or four new buildings there. They're all fully leased. They've got another new building that's coming up. Out of the ground right now,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you've seen Microsoft just, you know, Hines developed a, uh, two buildings for Microsoft that's fully occupying, you know, fully leasing them. And Vesco is going into a new building that, that Granite Properties is developing right now. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's not through the scale of Hudson Yards by any means, but, yeah. but we have our own little, little Hudson Yards here in Atlanta, <laughs> kind of in midtown.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you this before we wrap up, because we're kind of getting close to the end here. What are your thoughts on, this Is was a, a long debated subject about the the short term, not not short term, but the shared office space, like the WeWork model. Where do you think that's headed? Do you think it would ever come back? Do you think it's dead in the water? I mean, what well, what's going on with that these days? Because, you know, they were leasing of everything at one point, but it, it kind of fell off the map.
1: Yeah, listen, that's a great question. It's, I think, a fascinating topic right now. I actually think the pandemic strengthened the, the co-working office model, interestingly enough, because, at least for the near term, I think, you know, the industry grew too fast. We work grew way too fast. Yeah. <laughs> they took down too much space. And so, you know, as you noted, there was a lot of issues and a lot of problems with some of those companies. But I think you're going to see those companies do okay and maybe do very well going forward because the flexibility that they offer to these companies that right now, as we just said a minute ago, are kind of in flux. They don't know... They don't know how much space they're going to need. Are all the employees going to come back to the office five days a week or two days a week? And you know how is this place space going to be needed? So we're finding that a lot of the corporate America, the larger companies, and even smaller companies, small business, like the flexibility that that short term lease availability is at, at that co-working company like a WeWork or an industrious or, or some of the others, you mm-hmm. know, Regis spaces. So, you know, so I think that, that co-working is here to stay. And I think that it's, uh, you know, we've had shared office or office suites as they used to be called years mm-hmm. ago. Co-working is really just kind of a new, new brand on it with sure. a, 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 <clears throat> you know, a lot of, a lot of cool, cool amenities and, you know, bars and taps, you know, people, you know, you know, being able to get a beer and a drink and whatever, you know, along those lines, and it's a very casual environment. But I I think it's a a needed uh, amenity right now. And we're finding that that our leasing professionals are telling us that corporations actually like to lease space in buildings that have a co-working tenant in Mm. there. Oh wow! Because it gives them the flexibility that if they need to, you know, they may not lease as much space
2: mm-hmm. because
1: they know they've got a kind of a, a release valve. If they need a little bit more space, they can go and just yeah. do a short term, one year, you know, or six month lease with WeWork for the expansion that they need.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's quite interesting. It's um, it's almost seems like it's at the time of like MySpace, which did real well, but then kind of died off, and then Facebook came on and just kind of took off and you kind of wonder if there's a, another we work if you will um like you said there's some other brands right. out there but is, is there some other group that's going to you know really tweak the model to fit today's marketplace and really just explode so it's kind of interesting to see how that's going to play out yeah
1: right no absolutely absolutely
0: yeah, yeah well good stuff good stuff well will it's um <clears throat> it's been a, about 60 minutes uh you know we try to stay on time with our our discussions and whatnot. In conclusion, uh, you know, again, being vice chair of, of a very prestigious organization, you you've seen a lot over the years in concluding comments, what advice would you have for those um, one maybe coming out of school, coming out of college that might want to pursue careers in uh, commercial real estate at this point? What advice would you have for them?
1: Well, Joel, listen, I, I, uh, as, you know, as I said kind of maybe a few times throughout this conversation, you know, i I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about the commercial real estate business it's a fascinating industry I think you know those that are that find it to be intriguing and interesting you know I, I think it's worthwhile to explore the, the the industry and you know don't position yourself too narrowly think mm-hmm. broadly and, and look at all the various opportunities that are out there. But then, once you kind of focus in on something, be be very determined about it, and be passionate about it, and put your all into it. I do think that specialization is something that people should be, uh, you know, is important. I specialized in office. I didn't try to do too much. I just said, okay, we're going to be you know, focused on office in Atlanta, Georgia, initially, and expanded from there. So, um, I think it's a it's a great industry. And it's it can be incredibly rewarding. The people are amazing in the commercial real estate industry. I always love the, the the diversity that's there. We need to diversify the industry as a whole, but but you find a lot of very interesting people that have uh, very very interesting backgrounds, and um, mm-hmm. I just love it. It's it's a, it's a it's a great great business to be in, and I tell you, I. I Thank my lucky stars every day that I'm doing it here in Atlanta, Georgia, because we've got such a great city here. Uh, It's been a wonderful, wonderful place to have a career, and I know it will be going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you bring up a good point, because, you know, there was a point where you had to convince people to come to Atlanta and invest. And uh, that is absolutely not the case anymore. There's so much money coming here. It's like, man, a lot, you know, can we deploy it all? So, yeah, times have certainly changed. So, uh, so Will, it, it's been great. You know, I certainly uh, appreciate your time and, and energy. Uh, congratulations again on all your success. And we uh, certainly uh, appreciate the value that you brought to the Atlanta market and bringing a lot of these big players and big money to the marketplace. So thank you so much for, for being here and being part of the show as well. Joel,
1: thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you this morning and be a part of the show and, and, and honored to be here and uh, uh, look forward to getting together with you again here real soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. On a more personal note, hopefully when it gets a little warmer, we'll get out there and play some golf together or something else. We'll get a chance to, to do that here in Atlanta.
1: Love it. Love yeah. it. That sounds
0: great. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. This has been the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. I'd like to thank our special guest, Mr. Will Yowell, uh, for a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Will, thank you again, as always. It's been great. Great discussion, man. This This actually turned out real well. One of our better shows. Great.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Joel. I do appreciate it. I really do. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to write a brief review. And as always, continue to invite, share, and subscribe.